Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. I am reminding you of last week for just a moment. Uh, Last week, I stood up here, and the very first words out of my mouth is, I don't want to share what I'm going to share today. You remember what that was? Talking about anger. When you start talking about somebody's emotions, something stirs up inside of them, you tell them how to handle their emotions, they really tell you, you don't know, you don't understand me, all that kind of stuff starts happening. So, uh, well, today doesn't not get any easier. Um, in fact, um, uh, uh, today I put in front of you egg, egg crates to remind you that I am walking on eggshells today. Um, but it's also a barrier to remind you to give me grace, please, as we dive into what I believe is the most controversial set of verses in the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Some that have caused many to stumble across as I've read and studied preparing for this. I've been studying for this message probably longer than any other message in the Sermon on the Mount because I knew that we were going to be walking on eggshells today. If you were here with us last Sunday, I forewarned you is a PG-13 message. Uh, if you did not get that memo, sorry, here we go. Uh, that's number one, uh, but also I just want us to remember <sighs> my desire, my prayer is that as I talk each and every Sunday that I stand up here, that I come desiring to speak truth. I desire to not only speak truth, but to speak truth in love. As it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, speaking the truth in love. That is my desire to not water it down, but to make it palatable. Not to change the message so that it will be more politically correct or more acceptable even. I don't. I'm the messenger. That's all I am. This is the message. I'm the messenger. So don't shoot the messenger. Okay? That's one. But also, notice the aim is not just simply to give truth and love, but it's that we all to grow up in every way into him. So there's a goal behind every message, every time I stand up here. And if I hit your if I hit your toes, I'm really not aiming for your toes. I'm aiming for your heart, I promise. And I'm trying to do it in a spirit of love. You think, Mike, where are you going with all these disclaimers? Remember, we've been talking about that every day I want to look, listen, lead, and love a bit more like Jesus every day. And if I can do that, then, then, then I feel like I'm on a path to growing up in my faith. That I look, listen, lead, and love a bit more like Jesus. That I, that I will be as Jesus is and I will do as Jesus does. The being feeds the doing, not the doing feeds the being. The Pharisees wanted you to do so that hopefully you would be, but Jesus is about us being and then results in us doing. And so that's really the, the aim behind this. And when you come to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is so intentional about helping his apprentices, his disciples, grow up in the faith 
and walk with him. Now, he's highly practical. Anybody who ever says that Christianity is outdated, irrelevant, that it doesn't speak to our needs today, needs to open their Bible again and just read the Sermon on the Mount. Because when you read the Sermon on the Mount, you see everything from war and peace. You, you see everything from loving your enemies to how to deal with your enemies with you, when you got anger. You, you get everything from character to marriage to divorce to, to lust to anxiety. Who doesn't struggle with anxiety? You get all of that in the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, it opens with this whole concept of flourishing. So again, I said in the beginning that the Sermon on the Mount is the spark notes of all the Christian faith. And the spark notes of the spark notes is the Beatitudes. It opens with the whole concept of us living a flourishing, blessed, happy, fulfilled life. That's what God's wanting. That's how the Sermon on the Mount begins. How the Sermon on the Mount ends is just as important. That not only that we would have a blessed life, but in this ending of it, and we'll get there in time, uh, is a sustainable life. That no matter what storm you face, no matter what wind comes upon you, no matter what things hit you, you will be able to stand. So again, when I come to the Sermon on the Mount, understand that God's intent, Jesus' words, his intent was blessing and sustainability, was being able to figure out life and all the emotions and temptations and, and struggles that we're going through. And so we are wrapping up. So be finding in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5. We're wrapping up chapter 5 today. Now, there's three chapters, so do the math on that. We're a third of the way through. We're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount until Good Friday actually. So be thinking about that. It's preparing us. This is all a pathway to preparing us for our Easter celebration that we'll be having three services on that day. But let's stick with today. As we wrap up this chapter five, remember that what we, what Jesus does in chapter five is he starts with the Beatitudes. He talks about the cause and effect that we become salt and light. And then he talks about moving from good to great is not just doing the Old Testament, but it's being, it's a part of who you are. So he really moves to the heart, the spirit of who we are. Because he says six different times, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. He says that six times because he's moving us from good to great. He is not, I've heard it said this, giving an antithesis to the Old Testament. That an antithesis is something that's a contradiction or an opposite side of, of something. He's not giving antithesis. He's giving an exegesis. He's explaining what the author, God, through Moses, original intent was with the Ten Commandments. Okay? The law, the Torah of the Old Testament. He's giving an exegesis. I hope every Sunday when you come in here that you don't hear a message from Mike. I hope you hear a message from the Lord and from his word and that I am just merely the conduit. I hope that I exegete, let the scripture speak for itself and explain what the author was saying in the beginning. What Jesus is doing is he's explaining the intent of Moses and God, Yahweh God, as he gives the message to us. Now, with that being said, as the the foundation, today we are launching in to Again, a very difficult passage. We're really kind of looking at maybe uh, the sixth and the seventh of the commandments. Maybe even going back and taking the Lord's name in vain. 
if you want to connect the last part of what we're going to look at today. But I want us to read the passage, 10 verses, and let's read them beginning in verse 27. You've heard it said, there's that again, the pattern. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it's better to lose one of the members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if the right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. For it is better that you lose one of the members of your whole body and then the whole body be sent into hell. Okay, Jesus is getting violent here now, right? Verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Right out to the side in your Bibles, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 to 4. That's that certificate of divorce. We'll be there in a moment. But I say to you, you, that, that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, underscore the, that phrase, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Don't you like the, the feel of this today already? It's making you get a warm fuzzy. Um, again, you heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform uh, to the Lord, what you have sworn. So if you make a commitment to God, you follow through with that commitment. But I say to you, don't even uh, uh, take an oath at all, either uh, by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool. And we just read a passage of Scripture that refers to that earth being the footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by the head, by your head, for you cannot, uh, make one hair, a white or a black. Let the, uh, let what you say simply be yes and no. And anything more, uh, fr- comes from evil. Now, I'll just say that last section's got all kinds of stuff. We're not even going to be able to unpack today, but let me say it like this. We're going to give an application Even though there's one interpretation, there are many applications. We're going to give the application around how oaths and vows fit into a marriage and how we need to be very cognizant of that. Again, point of application when we get there. But here, this topic doesn't sit well. I know. I had talked with people out in the gallery from the first service. Um... If you're single, you're sitting in the room, maybe you're going, hey, this doesn't apply to me. Why am I even here? If you've been divorced, there might be things coming up inside of you right now of shame and remorse and guilt and things that I, 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 don't, I don't have answers for because I don't know what you've gone through. I don't know what you've experienced. I don't know what I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, okay? Uh, you, you could be here today and you could be a widow and your feelings of loneliness and I wish my other was still here and we had so much of life together and, and, and I get it. You might be married in this room and you might be sitting next to the person you're married to right now and you're frustrated right now because even the thought of marriage t- topic in a marriage that right now feels pretty flat and dull, uh, 
You're uncomfortable, and I get it. So can we just right now just be real, be authentic, and just offer ourselves up to God and say, God, would you just do your work in me right now? Wherever I am, whatever's going on. Would you bow your head with me? Father, I take my hands and I hold them out because I am broken and I am married to a broken person and we are, are, are broken together and Lord, beautifully broken together and it is hard work and it is awesome work to be with my bride. And Father, I know that in different people in this room are sitting here with all kinds of emotions in one way or another. And I just pray that, Lord, wherever they are, you would meet them where they are and you would speak to them today your loving truth in love from your word. And Lord, I pray that you give us insight so that we would live not just okay, not even good, but we would live great in the most prized gift from you our marriage. Lord, we thank you for this space and time. Be our teacher in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's talk about how to mess up your marriage, how to ruin your marriage. All right. That's the title of the message is we're going to talk about how to mess up your marriage. Uh, there's all kinds of things we can talk about in scripture about communication and intimacy. Oh, read the book of Song of Solomon. There's lots there. We could be in that kind of mindset today. We can talk about conflict resolution by all means. That's what most marriages that I talk to, uh, need a lot of conversations on. But we're not going to talk about that because the Sermon on the Mount doesn't address that in particular, but he does address how we can mess up our marriage. So I'm going to give you three ways in this passage really quickly about how we mess up our marriage. Number one is make light of lust. It's just a look, right? It's just a gaze. It's just my imagination. But here's the thing. The thing about us that makes us different from all other created beings, all other animals that breathe and walk this earth from the, from the biggest elephant to the, to the smallest ant. There, there's nothing else in this world that has an imagination that we know of. In fact, I will say that a part of the Imago Dei, that creativeness of God, of God creating the world and the heavens and the earth and the mountains and the valleys and all, a part of the Imago Dei that we carry with us that no other creation carries with them is the ability to imagine and create. We can solve problems through our imagination. We can invent things through our imagination. We can put worlds back together if we come together in a creative, imaginative kind of way. There's so much that we can do. But if you let the imagination wander, if you just let it run free without barriers or controls on it, it will go to some of the darkest places imaginable. Let's look at verse 27. For you've heard that it, for you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman and is lustful, with lustful intent, has already committed it in his heart. It's a big thing. Kind of pointing to the seventh commandment here, that we should not commit adultery, but he actually defines it, gives it a little bit more legs to it. Again, the intent, the exegesis of it is that really, hey, you don't even need to think about the, the physical act of it. Just stop at the thought. 
Let it stop before it goes into the dark parts of our imagination. Because where you're looking, you're going to be leaning. Whenever you're teaching somebody the Olympic lifts, whether it's a clean and jerk or a snatch, you tell them to look on the horizon, to keep your eyes up. Because if you turn your head down, the barbell will go down and go forward. That's just one example of your eyes follow where you're pointed. So in our hearts, in our minds, we we talk about this, the eyes are the windows on the soul. Jesus said it like this later on in the Sermon on the Mount. The eye is the lamp of the body. You want to see where you're going? Look into your eyes. Think about it from even in the Old Testament. God put Adam and Eve in the perfect place. They were perfect people in a perfect place made in the image of God. Put him in the garden. In chapter 2, this incredible thing. In chapter three, incredible thing happens when Satan enters onto the scene and you begin to see what happens when the woman saw the tree, that it was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took the fruit and ate and she gave to her husband. Now, if I reverse engineer this verse, you notice how sin is so much more enjoyable in community. If I'm enjoying this, you'll enjoy this. She shares it with her husband. But first of all, she had to take. Now again, remember, she had access to every single tree in the garden but one. But one, that one is the one I want. I know we're not like that. We have access to everything in America. But we want what we don't have. It's amazing. Because we delight in it. The social media makes it look so good and, and, and the, the, the advertisements make them look so good and it's like I, I gotta have it. And it starts with the eyes. If, if we do not understand that it begins there, it doesn't end there. And we understand that the pornography business in this world, listen to this, is a $97 billion a year industry, pornography. Now, I know not everyone struggles with that, but a lot of people do. People who are going on the mission field with the International Mission Board, they no longer ask them, hey, have you looked at porn? They now ask them the question, when was the last time you looked at porn? These are missionaries. Because it is so prevalent, it's so much a part of our culture, you can open your phone not even looking for it, it comes looking for you. $97 billion a year industry. Now, if you just take that, and you were to make 97, I don't even know what 97, I don't even know what a billion looks like, but if you think about a $97 billion, and you put it into a GMP, uh, gross national product, okay, of a country, and said, okay, pornography is its own country. It would be as big as Slovakia, Ecuador, and Kenya if pornography was its own country. How do I keep my look on this world, my look into people, how do I keep it clean and clear? Now, one is you aggressively know your triggers, okay? Know what triggers you into the lustful intent of the heart as, as Jesus spoke up. Now, again, it's different for men and women. Men, lust 
with their eyes. And again, I may be overgeneralizing here, but let me just overgeneralize, okay? Women lust with their hearts. Men will allow their eyes to look at another woman and long for her physically and may not even know her name, but he wants her physically. Women look at a man and long for him emotionally. This is why an emotional affair of a woman can happen before ever even a physical touch has ever even taken place. The woman might be having an emotional extramarital affair before the man ever touched the woman. The man will touch a woman and bring it to completion. And we've got to be careful. We've got to be aware of our trigger points. So I say to the ladies, as it says in Proverbs, guard your heart. doesn't mean men don't guard your heart. You guard your heart. But I want to just say to the ladies, you've got to guard your heart because out of it comes the wellspring of life. Everything that, that is within you, from it flows the springs of life. Men, I challenge you to be like Job. In Job 31.1, he said, I made a covenant with my eyes that I'm not going to look lustfully at a young woman. Think about that. I'm going to set my eyes. That means whenever I see something that I shouldn't be seeing, it's drawing my attention away. It's drawing my heart away. It's drawing my imagination into darkness. I'm going to pull it back. I'm not going to linger there. Second Peter warns us that the eyes are full of adultery and insatiable for sin. The reality is, is that our hearts will go and our eyes will go before our bodies ever get there. But if we only say adultery is when the bodies touch bodies, then we have missed the spirit and the intent of what the challenge is here. I read a book about 10 years ago called Not Just Friends. Because I was having so many people come through my office that were talking about extramarital relationships that they had, marriages that were almost on the, on, on the brink of ending, and they were talking about being, well, we just started as friends, and it kind of went here, and it went there. And, and the, my, my spouse said, we're just friends. And the reality, and again, there's so much to this book. It's, a, it's really a book for counselors. Uh, uh, deep in research and so forth. But the whole idea is the fact is that we got to be careful because our emotions may take us, our eyes may take us where we have no intent to go. So what are your trigger points? And I want to challenge you to write them down. Give them to your accountability partner. If you don't have one, find one. And when you do, write them down and write, answer this. What's the who, the what, the when, and the where? The who. Is there somebody in particular that I'm finding myself drawn to? Back away. Name the who. Name the what. What is it about that? What is it about that situation that draws me in? When does it happen? Is it late at night when nobody's at home or when I'm on a, on a business trip that I kind of get pulled in? When, 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 when am I most vulnerable? Where? Is it the gym? Is it on the job? Where? Am I most vulnerable? Where are the trigger points? And know it, be aware of it, fight against it. Then number two, I want to say aggressively fight. Okay, you've got to be in it to fight. Now, there's no doubt Jesus is speaking in hyperbole here. If your eye causes you to stumble, it says in verse 29, what are you to do? Rip it out of your head. All right, if your hand causes you to, to, to stumble, what do you do? Cut it off. Everybody I saw came in here, came in with hands and eyes. So we must not have a problem with this at all. I got at least a joke, a laugh out of last hour. 
Third century scholar, origin of Alexandra, literally took this passage to heart and entered into asceticism. He renounced possessions and renounced food. He even renounced sleep. Now, how can you do that? I don't know. And he even took the phrase literal. He made himself a eunuch. Let me say this. Jesus is not talking about mutilation. He's talking about mortification. He's talking about us dying to sin. Okay? This hyperbole is calling us to a death to that sin. Where, And I know it's really hard. Hang, hang with me on this. Romans chapter 8, verse 13. He says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body you live. So there's got to be a killing, a, a, a murdering of that, that, that desire to where you are killing, putting it to death. Put to death, it says in Colossians chapter 3 verse 5, the sinful earthly things lurking within you have nothing to do with sexual immorality. Remember that phrase? I had you underscore it. Right here it is again. Same word. We're going to come back to that in a moment. Impurity, lust, evil desires. You're putting it to death. You're killing it. You know, the times that I've looked at pornography, one of the things I've learned about pornography is that when I look at pornography, I want more pornography. And that when I get more pornography, I want more pornography. There's not an end to it. And whenever you don't put it to death, it will continue to resurrect itself in your life. How is it that mortification Happens. How is it that death happens to that sinful desire that can come up inside of us? How? Listen very carefully. It's the only way I know is starvation. You starve it to death. You don't feed it. You don't lean into it. You starve it. How do you starve it? You don't feed it. How do you not feed it? Because you find your desire and your longing and your appetite for something else. You get the real stuff. You get the real food. And you, it, it's like this. It's like Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be what? Say it. Satisfied. And most people who go on a binge with their lustful thoughts and hearts and minds are just wanting to be satisfied. But they're doing it in a cheap, costly manner. Starve it. And feed it what God wants. That's what Paul told young Timothy. I mean, young Timothy was a pastor in training. Paul was discipling him as young pastor Timothy is pastoring Ephesus. They had elders, but kind of there, they were there. The pastor was Pastor Timothy. And he literally, he talks about how to run a church, how to preach a sermon, how to study, how to, all this kind of stuff. Tells him how to, elders and deacons. He literally, it's the pastoral epistles. But, a pastor who just does the functions but is not the person is missing it. So he warns him. He says, listen, Timothy, you got to run from lust. Flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness. Don't miss this. The Sermon on the Mount says, hunger and thirst after righteousness. You'll be satisfied. Timothy, Run! in the other direction from youthful passions. Where am I to run? I got to run somewhere. Run to righteousness. What did we say righteousness was? It's the character and the conduct of Jesus. 
Am I running towards his character? Am I running towards his conduct? He imputes righteousness onto us so that we can impart righteousness from us, from our lives in the way that we live. Number one, if you make light of lust, make light of that look of it, you, you will, um, you'll destroy your marriage. Number two, look for the easy out. Listen, if marriage was easy, we'd all have perfect marriages, but it's hard, right? I got a few amens in that. Everyone else just lying. I have tons of empathy for the topic of divorce. Having grown up in a divorce home, having seen aunts and uncles divorced, good friends divorced, having pastored close people walk out on their spouse and watch the pieces of this other person hurt, I have empathy. All, not all divorces are, are, are created equal. Whenever you look in Matthew, whenever he's, you got to get the context. Every, if you went through Bible study methods with us, context, context, context. You got to understand the context. So where's Jesus talking about? How's he talking about divorce? You got to understand the context of which he's dealing with. He said, Matthew chapter five, verse 20, last week, your righteousness has got to be better than that of the Pharisees. What were the Pharisees thinking about divorce? By the way, this is going to be on their mind a lot because in Matthew 19, he, they're literally going to bring it up to Jesus again. So this is pretty front, front and center. And he's calling them to a greater righteousness. So he refers to the certificate of divorce. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, pop it up on the screen. Here it is. He says, a man takes a wife and marries her. If then he, she finds no, he, then she finds no favor in his eyes. Because he has found some indecency, that word means nakedness or shamefulness in her, he writes her a certificate of divorce. Now again, there's a whole lot to this, but it was, it was customary that you would just do that. Now the thing is, is well, what was a legitimate, what is indecency? I wish he'd have listed out 15 things, but he doesn't. So then you get the schools of thought. You got the the Shemites, uh by Rabbi Shemai, uh, and he had a very conservative view of what divorce was acceptable and not acceptable. Um, but even he refers to Exodus chapter 21, verses 10 and 11, where a failure to provide emotional support and sufficient, were sufficient grounds for divorce. So there's, there's very few things, but there were, there were grounds, very few that were ground. But then there's the rabbi Hillel. Hillel. And he had, according to Josephus, the most dominant view of that day, and most of the Pharisees lined with him. Now, his view was on divorce was that whole indecency was if she it talks loud in the home, you can divorce her. All right? Two, if she burns the food, you could divorce her. Yeah. Three, if she loses her youthful looks, you could divorce her. Rabbi Akiba said it like this, her, he may divorce her even if he found another fairer than she. So if you look at her one day, she has a few more wrinkles than this other person has wrinkles. 
you can divorce her. You see where we're going with this. There's two totally different views. I mean, you just, you just kind of throw her away and put her out. And it's like, that's the world. That's the, the world of the Pharisees. That's the world of that day. And Jesus says, no, 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 time out. That's not what we're talking about. You've got it all wrong. Now, let's get in our DeLorean with our flux capacitor and let's fly to our present day. And let's ask the question, why do people divorce today? Do, is it because of burnt food? Is it because she talks too loud? A survey was done by the National Fatherhood Initiative, and this is what they found as the number one reasons or the top reasons that people divorce a lack of commitment. Some couples even said after their divorce, I wish we'd have tried harder. I wish we'd have tried harder. Arguing. Infidelity. Marrying too young. The CDC literally says this. Let me quote. Um that nearly 50% of teenage marriages fell within the first 15 years. Unrealistic expectations. I thought he was going to be. I thought she was going to do. It didn't meet my expectations. Lacks equality. One that I've heard more times than I care to, I throw up in my mouth, I think, when I hear it, and that is this, you know what? We just fell out of love. We just aren't attracted to each other anymore. I want us to be very, very cognizant that God's gift to us, the number one relationship is marriage. And we don't take it for granted. Now, let's look at verse 31 and 32. It was said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, if every, it, it, that everyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality. Now, this does not say has an affair. Okay, that's a whole nother word. You can skip down and see adultery right underneath that. That's a different word than this word. This word is the Greek word porneia, which literally means any kind of sexual deviation outside. It's a very miscellaneous, large umbrella kind of word. It's like, Today, we get our English word pornography from this word. So literally, people, if you need an excuse to get a divorce, has your spouse ever been lustful with anybody else? They've committed adultery in their heart already. You can go there. Now, let me just warn you that your heart has not been either perfect. And this is God's concession Divorce is God's concession. It's not God's command. So I tell you a story of uh, two couples that came on the same week to my home because I still remember this because they met in my in my office in, in my home because we didn't have a building yet. This was in the first about four or five years of the church. First couple comes in and, and um, it was indiscretion, broken promises, an affair, incredibly... Broken couple, broken promises, broken dreams, broke, 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 broke. And through the course of the time, again, one quick conversation, no, not one lengthy conversation with them. I, I did not ask the right question, but I did ask it because I'm not a counselor. I'm a coach and I just get to the point. And I just said, are you committed to one another? Because I can tell you right now, your marriage is at the lowest point it's ever been. And they both said, yes, we want to make it work. 
Okay. I know that was an emotional moment, but put that couple on the burner. This couple over here. Another couple comes in, not in discretion, just not getting along, falling out of love. Husband sits over in the chair like this. I couldn't pull words out of his mouth. She's giving him everything that he's done wrong and telling me, it's like, wow. Okay, I asked him the same question. Do you want to make your marriage work? You, you want to work on this, do the hard work on this? And they said, I don't know. Three months later, they're divorced. To this day, they're married. Because you can work on it if both of you will work on it and do the hard work. Number three, and I am flat out of time, but let's not miss this. When you leave God out of your vows, when you think of, when somebody comes to me and asks me to do their wedding ceremony, I have one question. First question I ask everyone, so I'm giving you, if you ever come to me, then here's the question. You can come with a preloaded answer. Why are you coming to me? Because we live in a day when your crazy Uncle Eddie can go to the courthouse and can marry you. Why are you coming to me? You can go to the Justice of the Peace. You can, you can get a friend. You can get an enemy. And they can marry you. I mean, it's literally that easy. It used to be the day with the pastors and Justice of the Peace. That was it. That's not, that, that day's gone. Um, why do you come to me? And nine times out of 10, I get somewhat of an answer like this. They think about it because we want God to be in our marriage. And I said, that's great. Good answer. Are you ready to do the work? Because if you're making a promise to one another that you're going to be together, sickness and health, this is due part, you know, through it all, hell and high water, whatever your vows say, that's a big commitment. And are, are you going to make that commitment? Because if you read, and I'm, again, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go back and read it. Read verse 33 to verse 37. He talks about making vows. He said, listen, don't make vows too hastily. Because in James chapter 5, it says this, but above all brothers, do not swear either in heaven and earth or any other oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. So there's this, this level of character and integrity that, that comes with a marriage. I mean, even in Zechariah, and God can't stand lies. He says, love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. You want to you know what God hates? He hates lies. He hates broken oath. He hates broken vows. And the thing is, is that whenever people come to me and they say, I want God to be in my marriage and I admire that, that is not something that happens in a 30-minute ceremony. That happens over the course of 30 years. And it's constantly putting God back at first place in our marriage. If you think about it like a triangle, and I've, not, I've used this before, me new to some of you, but not most of you. If you put God at the top of that triangle, and then you put yourself winged out at the bottom with your, with, with your spouse, what happens to you? This creates the relationship God invented marriage. We can't rewrite marriage. We can't make it. We can't redefine it. In our culture, we're trying to redefine it. We can't. It's God's, okay? He, he owns it. He owns the patent on it. He's at the top. Because the Bible says, well, if God brings us together, don't let anybody tell you apart, okay? Well, what happens as I grow closer to God and as Lori grows closer to God, guess what happens? We grow closer to each other. And that's not just some voodoo on a screen. 
That's real. Ninety percent of Lori and I's unresolved conflicts have to deal with our pride, our arrogance, our determination that we're right. Instead of blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn over their own sin. Those people, they're the ones who will inherit the kingdom of God, inherit the earth and so on and so forth. So you want to destroy your marriage? Here's, here's three quick ways. One, just let the eyes wander and don't bring anything in. Two, you can, you can do it by just getting an easy out, okay? If you've ever looked at somebody and lusted after them, you've committed adultery. I'm gone. Um, also, forget God is a part of your marriage and you can do away with your marriage real quickly. I, I, had, I was 21 years old when I took my first pastorate just south of Bolivar, Missouri. 21. I still had pimples, okay? What does a 21-year-old dude know about pastorate? I wasn't even married yet. 21, take my first pastorate, and I was there no more than three Wednesday nights. We had a Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night prayer meeting, okay? And there was this one man. And uh, he hung around and he hung around and finally everyone was gone. It was just he and I. And he told me that he and his wife played bunco with the neighbors and relationship began to get a little too much over here and things happened and, oh, no, what am I going to do? I'm 21 years old, not married myself. What am I going to tell the guy? But I just opened the book and I just began to work with him I got into a Christian counselor. They began to work on their marriage. I'll fast track to the end. The beautiful thing, one year and a half later, we're standing in their front yard. Boys are flanked out on the side and they walk down and they renew their vows. Listen, you can cash it in anytime you want and you can find an excuse anytime you want or you can be all in it. And you know what? The thing about the whole line of they lived happily ever after, that's a lie from the pit of hell. There is no living happily ever after. There is living, sacrificing, giving ever after, which will bring happiness. There is that whole idea of forgiveness that will bring happiness. There is that conflict resolution that will bring happiness. Yes, but it takes a ton of work. I want to close by reading just the reality that this is our relationship with Jesus too. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. All the mess-ups, all of our struggles and all of our temptations, Jesus gets it. He was tempted in every way, but he did not sin. So he's been down the track of temptation. So, because of that, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. You know what? Every happily ever after marriage is built on, baked in, all a part of it every single day is mercy and grace. The same thing 
that brings you to Jesus. The same thing that gives you life everlasting. Do you know the mercy and grace of Jesus? Would you bow your heads with me? I don't know, and please, 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 give me grace. If I said something just not right, if I said something that stirred or triggered something in you, I really, really, really just want to speak truth in love. I know right now there's probably tons of heaviness in this room for all the many obvious reasons. But I just want you to take your heart right now, just lift it up to Jesus and just point out, Jesus, I need your mercy and grace. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy and grace. Now think of, maybe it's your spouse that needs mercy and grace. It's what makes Let's live happily ever after. Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace. That even when, Lord, there's people in this room who like feeling shame, God, that's not you, that's not of you, that's not of you, Lord. The same grace that saves us from the past saves us in the present and the future. So, Lord, may we walk in your grace. We live in your forgiveness. You give us clean hands and a pure heart. We can't go backward, but we can go forward. So I pray that as we move forward, Lord, we will move forward in your mercy and grace. Humble every step of the way. And Lord, if you've given us a life partner, then Lord, may we give them that same mercy and grace. If you might one day in the future give us a life partner, may we enter it with mercy and grace. Lord, and if there's a broken relationship already in our life, may we give that person mercy and grace. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Scent.